Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. You heard Eamon mention um, a few moments ago that the first official Arachthus Committee on Assisted Dying is currently underway today and it's comprised of a number of senators and TDs from a variety of different positions and viewpoints meeting and they're going to meet over the next nine months. It's it's not a one-off meeting to consider whether Ireland should allow people to end their lives in specific circumstances such as a terminal illness. And you're going to hear from a lot of politicians about this and you'll hear from experts and, and rightly so um, over the next while to discuss their viewpoints. But I was just interested to get a sense of where the public mood is on this today. And I want to chat to people to hear your thoughts, your opinions, whatever they are, whatever your concerns. Uh, you can let us know. The WhatsApp number is 87 Give us a call either. Denise is with us on the line today. Denise, you got in contact about this. Um, the first meeting is underway. Do, do you think it's something that we should look at introducing in Ireland or not? Most definitely. Uh, there's something needed to be done. Um, there's too many people out there suffering and nobody's making decisions for them or they, their decisions aren't being applied. So I think, yes, this should be looked at and it should be considered. And you have to think of the person that's involved in it. You know, they're the ones that are suffering that you're watching, you know, dying slowly and in agony. And that's not fair. Have you, I don't mean necessarily an experience of this, but have you had somebody, I suppose, in your life, Denise, that has gone through that? Yes, I have. Yeah, okay. my mother. Yeah, okay. um, she had Parkinson's and then she uh, went into dementia and uh, ended up in hospital for uh, I think it could have been about five months. And um, if I could have helped her, I would. But um, obviously, it, it was difficult. My siblings all agreed with me that it wasn't fair to watch her go down to five stone and be put on a morphine pump and slowly drip away. And it's just cruel to watch somebody go like that, you know. And it's 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 the people who are left behind have to deal with it as well. But it's why would you let somebody suffer like that? You know, it's just not fair. Was it over a long period of time, Denise? Your mum's uh, illness? Yeah, well, she had Parkinson's for a good number of years and then the dementia kicked in and... Uh, bless her, she she really didn't know what was going on, you know, and and to end up in to be bedridden and being fed with a tube, and it just was horrific. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Was it ever a conversation or something that your mum mooted or brought up or talked about her? Did she? No, you see, that's the problem. I think in Ireland we don't talk about all these issues. We don't have conversations. In fact, at the weekend, I was just talking to some friends and I was saying, have, have you put down what you want to happen to you when you die? <laughs> you know, um, and and nobody has told anyone what they want, or at least not, a lot of people don't do it. And it's a conversation that needs to be had, I think. Like I, I, I think really, you know, I honestly feel that people are very divided in this and, and I can see why. You know, I, I, I totally get all of the concerns and, and we heard some of them mentioned there. Even, you know, from in, in the committee meeting, Eamon mentioned them there in the news from um, one of the justice spokespeople that was speaking at it and how you put in 
safeguards for people and, and particularly for, for vulnerable people? Yeah, well, it, it, it's a very tricky situation and it's a very complex um, uh, situation as well, you know, because some family members may not want that person to go and think everything they're doing is good, but sometimes the good outlays what's going on with the person who's involved, who's lying in the bed, and and you're hopeless, you feel hopeless, you know, that you don't want them to go, but you want them to go. <laughs> You know, it's it's very hard to to for people to make those decisions, but it's the person who's there that you've got to think of, not the ones who are looking on, mm. not knowing what to do. It's also, I suppose, as well. It's it's very it's very difficult, and and I I don't know how legislators will find a way mm. around this, but. You know, you would never want somebody who who is terminally ill, um, and you know the prognosis isn't mm. isn't good, and 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 you know things are heading in, in one direction, to feel that this was something either, you know that they yeah yeah well you know I also have another situation ongoing at the moment. My husband has dementia, and he is now in a nursing home since February, and he's bedridden. He can't communicate. Now, I don't want him to go, <laughs> but looking at him yesterday, you kind of think, wouldn't it be better if he did? So, I, you know, I really feel if I could help him, I would, but legally I can't. So, you know, it's it's a hard one for anyone to make decisions on, but, you know, who knows what will happen. How long are you married, Denise? Would you believe we're just two years married next oh, week? Yeah, yeah. Um, we were together twenty-seven years, and um, I could see that the dementia was starting, and I thought I need to have some kind of say over what will happen to him. So I said to him, "Come on, we'll get married," even though it kind of wasn't something on the agenda. So we did it two years ago, twenty-first of June. We had a great day. He was okay, reasonably okay. Um, but it, it progressed very quickly. And um, But look, he, he looks very well, actually. Yeah. You wouldn't think to look at him, but at the same time, he's suffering. You know, um, but legally, I can't help him. It's very d- difficult, Denise, the situation you're in. And I, I really feel for you because you've it's a it's a road you've you've gone down before with your mum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, in some ways, that has has prepared me for what I had to deal with in the last couple of years. You know, with with Peter, you know, the way things happened with him and how 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 he rapidly progressed into this situation. And so, having had gone through with my mother, that has helped me to understand everything a bit better. You know, and able to help him even better. So in that respect, it's good, you know. But look, I didn't mean to come out with all of that today. Not at all. No, I, 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 I really feel for you. And you know, it's, I suppose your 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 own story and what you're currently going through, Denise, is obviously informed, you know, your opinion on yes, this. And I, has, I, I yeah, really appreciate yeah. you, you know, you sharing that, you sharing yeah, that with lot, us today. Yeah, I know it's fine. not easy. Yeah. It's fine, but it's just I think people need to consider the person that's involved. Yeah. You know, they're the yeah. most important person. They're the ones that are going through the agony and the pain and, and not able to tell you. 
you know, and 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 them possibly even wanting to go but haven't said it, you know, and and nothing's being done. The only thing they give them is medication that keeps them alive even longer, you know. And and is that fair? I don't know. You were, it's it's a it's a lot it's a lot to deal with, Denise, for for yourself. It is. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, it's life, isn't it? Life. Who knows what's around the corner for any mm. of us. <laughs> but I hope that the committee makes some good decisions and makes even help people, you know, to, to come to a decision and maybe give good guidelines and give good, um, you know, maybe have it that it's under supervision that they help someone to go and, and given good advice, you know. So, you know, we'll see what if 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 there is any any change out of it. Yeah, Denise, and other countries have it. So why yeah. can't we look at their legislation and how they operate and maybe take advice from them as well? Maybe that's what they will do. Mm. I don't know. Thank you for for getting in touch today, Denise, and and sharing your your story with us. I know it's not, as I said, it's not um, it's not easy, and I I do really appreciate your time on the program because it it is a very it's a very difficult and it's a very emotive topic to talk about and I, I fully appreciate that. Um, Michael is on the line too. Michael, where where are you in this debate? Well, I've been actively campaigning on this since my late wife died. In fact, since she was diagnosed before she died um, back in 2009. So that's 14 years now. Um, she had terminal cancer and she decided she didn't want to die but she didn't want to suffer either and she decided that she would take steps to be able to take her life um, if she needed to at the end to avoid unnecessary suffering and I'd agreed to help her and uh, and as it happened like most people who take that decision uh, and even most people who make preparations and die naturally because a lot of people do because it's 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 what most people aren't aware of is is that it's largely about the quality of life that you get while you're still alive by knowing that you have the option of managing pain or, or, or taking the choice to, to die on your own terms at the end. And since then, and this is where, where I, I think our parliamentarians have really let us down, the, the Supreme Court ruled in the in Marty Fleming's case mm. when she was seeking the right to, to assist his line. That, that's back as far as 2013. That's 10 years ago. The Supreme Court ruled that there isn't a, a constitutional right to assist the dying, but it is something that the Oireachtas can legislate for if the Oireachtas puts in place safeguards. And since then, there, there's been several attempts. John Halligan produced the bill in 2015. The Justice Committee examined the issue in 2017. Gino Kenny mm. put, put forward a bill in, in, in 2020. And, and last year, they've established this new committee to, to look at it. So, so they've had 10 years to discuss it. And, and really, whatever the nuances are, the, the, it's crucial now that they actually take the, the decisions and make the recommendations to, to change the law. It's like, I made the same point, you know, to Denise a few moments ago as well. Um, it's Michael Nugent, isn't it, Michael? That's who, it is, it yeah. is Michael. Yeah, sorry, I just I didn't catch your your surname first. Um, there's a lot of safeguards required, though. Because of vulnerable people, vulnerabilities, concerns that the public have around, you know, where you might have instances where somebody, you know, might abuse a loophole, might abuse something like this. And and that and they're they're very genuine. They're very real concerns for people. 
Of course they are, and, and that's the same in any piece of legislation. But the job of the Oireachtas is to address that. The, the, the job of the Oireachtas is, is to examine how it's done in other countries, examine what the concerns are, and come up with legislation that balances the, the right of uh, terminally or seriously ill people who want to live as long as they can to get the best possible medical resources and, and that nobody is forced to die earlier than they want to, and also respect the right of rational terminally ill or seriously ill people who want to die peacefully to be supported in, in carrying out that wish. So that's the job of the parliamentarians is, is to balance all of those things. It, and you're right, there are a lot of issues and there's, there's a number of public meetings being called over next while by End of Life Ireland and by Irish doctors supporting medical assistance in time where people can come along and hear those issues being trashed out. There's one in Waterford tomorrow and there's one in Galway on the 21st of June and there'll be more, more being announced. So you're, you're right that people need to be aware of the issues, that people mm. need to be aware of the nuances. But, but ultimately, the, the Oireachtas have had 10 years discussing this issue. And, and every time that, that any individual body within the Oireachtas discusses it, they just recommend that somebody else should discuss it. But it's, it's, it's time really now. It's, it's, it's like, I find it's, it's, it's like the abortion issue. You, it, it's not going to stop. There, there always were and always will be abortions. There always were and always will be people um, choosing to end their own lives to avoid suffering. And, and the state ultimately has to, has to catch up with, with the reality of what people are doing. And, and the, the, the options are either unregulated or regulated okay. assisted dying. Okay. Uh, text in from a listener here. Um, it's always Seven fourteen hundred one zero six is the number if you want to get in contact with us here today. I'm completely, completely against this, says this texter. Who's to say that it wouldn't be manipulated? And many other voices like that um, coming in as well. Um, Noel is on the line. Noel, you've been ill yourself, is that right? Hi, Andrea. How are you? I have, yeah. Um, we've spoken before about it, actually. Um, okay. So, I, I, look, I'll just give you my own experience. Um Basically, I got uh, I was diagnosed with myeloma in 2013, multiple myeloma. It's a rare enough disease. Uh, about 1% of cancers in Ireland are myeloma. It's uh, blood-related. Now, there's no cure. So it's actually, it is a terminal illness. But there are treatments. And I've, I've um, my first treatment was in 2014. I had a stem cell transplant. And that takes uh, maybe about 10 months because you're, you're prepping before it, last chemo, last stuff. And then the the stem cell and then the treatment after. So yeah, you're, I was back in remission then. Uh, 2017 December, I it came back and I went to hospital on the 17th of December and I didn't get out until the 6th of June in 18. I was in isolation like for six months. I had two more stem cell, two more uh, stem cell transplants in that period. Uh, so I got out again and got out of jail again and I was back doing a bit of work and stuff and just continuing and it came back again in 2020 and at this stage <clears throat> I'd exhaust like I was getting treatment all the time but mm. I'd probably exhausted all the all the treatments at this stage and I was in hospital and I was down to about 50 kilos and um, I had exhausted all treatments and the doctor came in and he said look um, he said we can you can have, you can go on palliative care at home you don't have to be here you know so I was kind of half expecting that I was so ill and that night I obviously was quite upset and rang my wife Fiona and just told her made a few more phone calls and then I was on my own and I said okay I have to try and find a positive here someplace because I would always look at the positive more than the negative 
during all my treatments and through life in general. And I eventually came to peace with it and I said, okay, I, I'm going to accept this. I, I've got more time than I should have got. Like it's only, I was given maybe five years in the beginning and I was up, I was on eight years and I accepted, okay, look, that's it. The game is over and I'm, I'm, I'm finished this time. But I had accepted it and I was quite happy. Mm. So if I was offered assisted dying at that stage, I would gladly have taken it. Because the last thing you want when you're in that situation is for your family, like uh, uh, my wife, Fiona, uh, Maury, my daughter, and so on, to see me and my friends, just to just waiting to see me die. Right? So I, I would have gladly have taken assisted dying. What had happened two days later, uh, Dr. Hyatt and his wonderful team in Gallagher University Hospital uh, found a new treatment, which wasn't available in Ireland, but I got it on compassionate grounds. Nice. And it worked. It worked for one every three. I was that lucky. Like it, it worked for me. And I'm still here. I'm still getting. Right. Free, I'm still getting it every six weeks. Yeah. Um. But so I can see both sides of this of this argument, and or this debate. Um. But like, there's no doubt. If if it was available on that day, and or just following day or two before I got news that was they had found a new treatment, I would have taken that. Because nobody, you know, nobody wants to see to be suffering. Your, like I, I accepted it you know I was okay with it but I wasn't okay with my friends yeah. and family seeing me in, you know being so ill because I knew that was upsetting them I knew I was okay because I had accepted say that, that, that was it, the, the game was over you know and looking so, lo- looking looking back now Noel with the incredible benefit of hindsight like this is something that you say, had, had it have been available or... Oh yeah, you I, would, know. I would have taken with both hands. Definitely like. But um, looking back now, and I've gotten like three years more than, I'm like, two, well, two and a half years on this drug and it's still working for me. No, it's going to come back like. it's 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 This will stop working. But the, in the meantime, there are further treatments not available that weren't available mm. in 2020. You know, so you see, I, it's something that's going to have to be really closely regulated. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's, you're, I suppose your actual experience, Noel, is is the very story that will be cited and, and mentioned and in the what if, you know, case that something yeah. like this happens where some, you know, somebody is told on the basis of scans and results and given, you know, a, a likely prognosis. Um and then with the benefit of developments of new treatment that a trial becomes available or yeah. and you get on that and it works and And it works like yeah. So I it's it's something that lives to be very, very closely monitored, I think anyway. And I can understand completely why people listening to you today and, and, and Michael and Denise as well and I suppose it's only when you have lived through this, be it yourself in your case, Noel, or have a family member like like Michael and, and Denise with us. Yeah. Um, that I suppose you, you you really kind of sit up and think about it because obviously it's it's absolutely it's not something that anybody ever wants to think about yeah, with a family yeah. member or a loved one like no but again like that ever since I was diagnosed I always felt I had the strength to, to work my way through it but it's something I couldn't I like I've, I always said oh god look, if if one of the kids got it why didn't I get it you know so I, I just felt that um you, you know, I, positivity, I suppose, 
But, you know, you, you have to, there, there's always hope, whether there's life, there's hope, basically, I think. Um, so I'm, I, I know because I was there. How are you doing now, Noel? Brilliant. Yeah. Work every night. We have a little hotel and restaurant in Bunratty, a small place called Bunratty Manor, and I love it. Uh, it's our life, and I go in there every night, have a little chat with customers, and look, it's a dream. It's a dream. It's brilliant. You know, so it's, you know, it's, 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 it just is like it's uh, uh, to where I was that night. Mm. Uh, but as I say, at that night, I, I had actually accepted and I had, I had my head at peace that I that I was finished. So to be to look back on that every day when I get up and look out like the last couple of weeks with this weather and and everything that happened, you know, it's 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 unbelievable. Like. Yeah, no, it it absolutely so, is, and and I know many people will be thinking in listening to your story today, you know, and delighted for you, Noel, and how you know, and I'm delighted to hear how how well you're doing and and you're you're in and you're you're working away and you know and and busy. That I know people will be thinking you are the very caveat, you're the very loophole. That, that that people will, will be concerned about and, and your experience of that. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. We're talking about the Iraqis Committee, the new uh, committee that's underway for the first time today to consider the issue of assisted dying and you're going to hear a lot of political and legal reaction and experts over the coming nine months um, in this debate. But I'm just interested in hearing the mood of the nation this afternoon and where people sit in the discussion. Um, the number is 1800 453 106 if you want to get in touch with us. Text in from one, another listener and quite a few in too like this. I'm very concerned and I'm afraid that older people or anybody that feels like a burden might consider this due to other people's influence and I think it's a point that should be made and, and absolutely uh, to that texter and others you're, it is it's an exceptionally valid point and one that has to be seriously accounted for and taken into account in any potential in any discussion around this Pauline got in touch with us today Pauline why did you get in contact with this? Hi there Andrea I got in touch because um, I was visiting a friend and my son in New Zealand last year and at the time my friend's sister had opted for assisted dying and I just wanted to um, I suppose let you know about what the situation is over there. Mm. I really understand people's concerns about especially elderly people being pressured into taking such a decision. Um, the legislation came into effect in New Zealand in November 2021 right. after a referendum where 65% of people voted yes. Now, in my friend's case, she supported that bill, but uh, she developed lung cancer that spread to a bone at the base of her skull, and she was told this was terminal. So she contacted... Um, the health department over there and followed through the process. So the process was that um, they contacted her and a doctor was assigned to her. And um, the conditions over there for approving uh, assisted dying is that the person has to have a terminal illness. They need to have less than six months to live. 
or they're likely to die within six months and um, they have to be of sound mind. So they meet with the first doctor and then they meet with the second doctor to ensure that they're not being pressured into seeking Mm -hmm. an assisted death and that they're likely to die within six months. So there's that verification step. Um, The other point is that if somebody becomes mentally incapacitated under their provisions over there of their act, um, they have to be competent to give informed consent through the whole process, including on the day the medication is administered. So that rules out people with dementia, as well as those who've been approved for assisted dying, but subsequently lose their mental competence from something like a brain tumour or who lose consciousness before the appointed day if they can't give the final consent. So um, one of the issues that's been raised since is that some people would like to be able to put in place an advanced directive for assisted dying Uh, So that would mean if somebody has, say, Alzheimer's or another form of dementia or neurological uh, illness that's terminal, that they can put in place in advance um, a wish for assisted dying. Now, for me personally, I would do that because I saw my mother over 10 years um, die from Alzheimer's. Well, she didn't actually die from the Alzheimer's. She, She died of a heart attack in her sleep, which was a merciful release because for 10 years she deteriorated until she was sitting in a chair all day in a nursing home, not knowing who I was or anyone else who came to visit her. And she was only 62 years old. So I'm concerned about that for myself, that, you know, if if that's the direction my life takes, I'd want to put something like that in place. I can really understand people's concerns, though. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 it's. And I've I have asked um, if anybody listening today, you know, on the other, very much on the other side of the, side of the debate, would like to get in touch with us. I've quite, some text messages that I've I've read out. All right, but if you want to give us a ring, please please do so, um, or drop me an email. Either it's lunchtime live at newstalk dot com. But in in your friend's sister's case, Pauline in New Zealand, um, given the the legal standing there, I, mean, I don't want to use the word she met the criteria, but she she did, yes. obviously, yeah. She did. Yeah. And uh, How... the other thing is, it's up to the person to contact and ask for that. A doctor isn't allowed to suggest it. So to avoid that situation of it being put forward as, as a valid option to consider to, to avoid putting someone in that position. So it's with an, an yeah. estimated, you say, six months to live and in that were you in New Zealand at the time, Pauline, in that six month period? Um, yes. You were? Um, yeah, I, I didn't, I was in a different city from most of the time, but um, she, she was but the family closed ranks, so I didn't see her. I heard through my friend how things were going. And um, she had, uh, my friend's sister, she had um, a really good experience out of it all. She felt relieved, she said, when she, in fact, she featured in a magazine about it, a magazine article over there. Um, because you know it's fairly, it's only it was only a year old over there the legislation, so there's a lot of interest in how it was going. Mm. But they reported no cases of abuse, of abuse, and um, 
she she became extremely fond of her assisted dying doctor and she felt a sense of relief at knowing that she could have an assisted death because um, it gave her a sense of power and control, control. Yeah. and also a chance to do it her way with dignity. So she opted to die at home with four family members in the room and with friends in the house. She also organized a party for a week afterwards and a celebration of her, of her death. And she was contributed to that. And it featured her as different aspects of her life, her as a mother, her as a wife, her in her working life. And people spoke about how they knew her. And that all took place in the house as well. Mm. And I think it gave people a closure because some people had difficulty with the concept, I think. Well, I, I want to ask yeah. you about that, Pauline, because I, it's, it's, it's fascinating to hear you you talk about it in, you know, from, from, from this perspective and, and being there and I suppose watching how this all unfolds. But is there... Is there a specific day? Is it? Yes. It must be very hard and bizarre on the family to be told. I know. Here's the date. And I, I was is, talking is that... to my friend saying, wouldn't that be strange to wake up and thinking, think this is my last Sunday, this is my last Monday. And she actually picked the date so it fell between the birthdays of her son and her sister because she she was expected to die around that time and she wanted control over that. She didn't want to die on one of their birthdays or just before one, you know, her son's birthday. And um, what, I, what I thought was, my, my impression was that it was probably more difficult for her friends and family mm. than for the person herself, knowing there was a set date. I mean, in the case of a terminal illness, yeah. we we know death is approaching, but we don't know when. And I think that's the big difference with this kind of death, is that there's a set date. And, and she did tell them the set date, Polly. Yeah, because mm. she wanted some of them to be there, well, her family to be there and some friends. But she looked at it as, as a strong and dignified thing to do mm. on her own terms and that's how she lived her life as a strong and dignified woman so it really fitted with her uh, she was in her early 70s just to give context to her age she also had Parkinson's disease and she had concerns that that would develop into dementia and that she wouldn't be able to do the assisted dying so um, she was glad to be able to do it under those um, terms yeah. you know, and under her own terms do but um, that directive is in place, advanced directive. Sorry there, Andrea, just, I just want to make this point. That directive is already in place for assisted dying, advanced directive in the Netherlands and Belgium for many years and for the last two years in Canada, mm. which is interesting. Do you recall that day, the date yourself, Pauline? I do, because it was the date I left the country and I couldn't change my flight to be there. Um, so yeah, it was quite sad. Um, yeah, it must have been a very difficult and lonely plane journey home. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but you know, I thought about her, her life, and the sort of person she was, and that that was it really that was totally her to go out like that, you know. Now, look, I totally respect people's concerns for um, 
people being pressured or manipulated. And look, I don't know how many incidents of that there might be, but what does frustrate me is that the government, our government, just prevaricates for so many years about these important life and death issues. And, you know, 10 years, somebody said, has been talked about. I mean, how much longer? Of course, there are concerns. And of course, there, there will be medical interven- interventions that can give people extra time at the mm. last minute. But I would say for the majority of people, when they're heading down that road, you know, they know, we all know where where it's going to end. And if that to see someone die, losing their faculties and their their bodily capabilities, and being a shadow of who they were, is tortuous. Not only for the person, but for the people around Absolutely. them. Absolutely. You know, Pauline, I um. Thank you for sharing that story with us today because I know it's it's not easy and it's it's not an easy thing to talk about and particularly when you're 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 you know you're obviously sharing a very personal experience um with us on the program so so thank you for for getting in touch and doing that today. John in Dublin has texted in to say I think it is straightforward assuming that I'm dying and rational I think the criticisms don't stand up. Uh, any don't stand up to any any uh, hype at all. The idea that you should be denied your own free will because somebody else may abuse it I think is bizarre says John another listener when our elders have dementia and make us feel uncomfortable why push them down like a sick pet what about finding ways to love them make them feel more loved I'm not against assisting terminal people in pain to make their passing easier but all the talk about elderly people deserving dignity my dad had dementia for years it was tough and it was sad at times but we but he was alive and living in his own personal way he never felt like he was a burden and he certainly didn't feel less of a person deserving to live Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan weekdays at midday on News Talk.